0: Hello and welcome to Blattress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Of Silk and Steam by Beck McMaster.
1: This was published in 2015 and is the fifth and final book in the London Steampunk series.
0: So you may know that we have been reviewing the London Steampunk series actually since October when we featured the first one as one of our supernatural reads. <laughs> but we liked it so much we're like, let's finish the series. So we made and I it have
1: to the end. A hunch. There are some novellas we haven't tackled yet, so you might see those in the future. And there is a couple of novellas. There's actually a
0: whole entire series after this one.
1: Um, so the jacket. When her beloved father was assassinated, Lady Aramina swore revenge. The man responsible the man responsible is well beyond her grasp, but his dangerously seductive heir leo barons is fair game when mina obtains evidence proving that leo was illegitimate she has the means to destroy both the killer and his son a man who troubles her heart and tempts her body a woman of mystery mina's long driven
0: leo crazy with glimpses of a fiery passion that lurks beneath her icy veneer he knows she's hiding something and he's determined to unravel her layer by silken layer. He just doesn't expect the beautiful liar to be the key to overthrowing the corrupt prince consort or to saving his own carefully walled off heart. I love how they put this like crazy clause, like, we're going to bring down the prince consort and also fall in love. <laughs> oh, okay, this is. A bad jacket. We have said that about every single one of these jackets. They're just not good.
1: So once again, they there's no mention of the fact that they're vampires.
0: <laughs> there's no vampires.
1: No vampires, <laughs> no werewolves,
0: no steampunk. There's no reference to like any time period, actually, when this takes place.
1: So in terms of setting up you know the general uh, world building there's none in this jacket second of all her getting the information that he's illegitimate is like a very minor part of the plot like very minor Um, and he's not trying to get beneath her veneer he's been obsessed with her for like ever (laughs) forever I
0: I loved the obsessive pining guys what can I say
1: problematic as hell I still love him oh my god it's not only obsessive pining it's like this is the relationship where he's super in love with her and no matter how many times she says no or she freaks out or in the middle of making out she lashes out at him he's like you're my one and I know you're just freaking out right now so I'm gonna be super understanding and we will hang out tomorrow and like (laughs) in real life he would be such a creepster (laughs) Right, in real life, it'd be like, okay, no means no. Like, why are you stalking me? But in this situation, it's like, oh my God, thank you for seeing through all my layers and yeah. for your patience and for not, like, overreacting when I threatened to out you, off, out you as a bastard. I'm only doing it because I like making out with you so much, and that scares me. <laughs> I am. I eat that shit up with a spoon. <laughs> it's
0: like I can tell that you have so much passion under, you know, I can just see – Your true self.
1: And like, did I love that she's constantly pretty sure he's about to rape her? No. Did I love that every time she suggests it, he gets really hurt? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He's just like, what do you mean? I lured you to this sex room and made out with you because I thought you wanted this. I'm not going to take advantage of you. I'm just going to like prove that you're turned on. I, I, I wrote
0: this. I wrote this in... Uh, under sexiness. I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read what I wrote, guys. So they make this sex bargain. She has to make the sex bargain because otherwise she will be killed by rogue vampires. Okay? So this, this happens, guys, in the first chapter. These are not spoilers. It's so good. <laughs> so she, she's coerced into making a sex bargain because otherwise she will die. Uh, and I, like, love that he doesn't hold her to it. <laughs> So basically, he, like, takes her back to his boudoir. <laughs> she gets in the jacuzzi tub. <laughs> and, and, like, yes, there's, like, a bubble bath, this whole thing. And then he's like, okay, we made a bargain that now I can see your body. And she's like, fine. So she stands up, and she's like, fine, look at my body. And then they kind of make out. And then he's like, hmm, she doesn't seem into it. I, when we finally have sex, I really want her to be into it. So
1: I'm just going to stop. And she's like, you want me to be willing, not just here? And he's like, yes, so here's a towel. <laughs>
0: I will escort you home, my lady. But this we've talked about this so many times, but basically, if the guy acknowledges that he's being a little creepy, you can forgive the fact that he's
1: creepy. Also, and I don't say this lightly. Actually, I say this incredibly lightly as a joke. This is not true, but it's kind of true. He's real hot. <laughs> It does hot guys, she's real into him. Like, but this is the point. Like, when people are mutually attracted, a lot of behavior that are, is creepy when it's one-sided isn't creepy. So, like, do I love the way it's presented here? No. Was I really into the way it was presented here? And did I just lie? And did I definitely love it? Yes.
0: And also, is the thing is, they're they're both vampires, and so their vampire self, their darker self, recognizes that the other one the other darker self is like their
1: mate yeah it's hilarious because they both um threaten to kill each other a bunch (laughs) a lot and their internal monologue is like but i can't actually hurt them
0: i could never actually kill this person my darker self wouldn't allow it
1: i know i have a switchblade to her throat as we slowly back out of the room but i can't plunge it no matter what it's like okay (laughs) i loved aunt lane i loved it (laughs) okay we're so far ahead of ourselves Random number. 22. Meg, what was your 22-word
0: summary? All right. Vampires, werewolves, and steampunk cyborgs unite to bring down an abusive spouse. Our heroes still find time to have sex?
1: Everywhere. Avengers assemble. Now with more fucking. (laughs) That's what it is, and
0: I loved it. How about your 22-word summary?
1: Leo learned the importance of family in book one. So now it's Mina's turn, this time with more rebellion, abuse, and blood. Woo-hoo!
0: <laughs> Guys, if you thought we didn't like this book, we loved it. I don't I don't want to love it, but I do. <laughs> I think that's the issue. I'm like, did I want to love everything about this book? No. Did I love everything about this book? Kind
1: of. Okay, so here's my problem with this book legitimately. Like, the thing I didn't love. The plot makes very little sense. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing with this book. This book is
0: almost nonstop action. Like yes. there there are seriously there are chase scenes, there are fight scenes, there are like political maneuverings, and then there are more chase scenes, and then there are battle scenes and there are strategy scenes, and then like And like more every about-
1: character who's been mentioned in passing is showing up at some point.
0: Yeah. yeah. So the, the book doesn't stop once it starts the action. So I think it's very easy to overlook the fact that the plot itself maybe doesn't make a ton of sense because there's so much going on all the time. You're just like, okay,
1: okay, what's happening next? So I'll give you a couple of different examples as to how this manifested and some of this bothered me more than others. Um, the big bad, as was revealed in book four, by the way, guys, we're going to do our best not to spoil this one. But as usual, anything from before in the series like is fair game. So the du- the the prince was revealed to sort of be the big bad in book four, except he hasn't really done anything until like he's raising here. until here, but like he's suddenly fucking psycho in this book he oh, yeah yeah, 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 I think you know, that, other that than, was my
0: like, biggest issue with the book is like why is he such a bad guy? Well, I guess he's
1: crazy. Well, and he's a, he's a horrible monster here and we'll delve into that further, but like in previous books, other than raising the blood taxes and like the general sense of inequality, it doesn't really make sense to me why he's the villain and not the queen too, not the council of Dukes, not the entire concept of a vampiric based hierarchy, Right, Mm -hmm. like scapegoating the prince just on the grounds of he's officially lost his mind, like never officially clicked for me. Right. Another issue I had with the text is like, Meg mentioned this is nonstop action, but things that would have been like really full of emotional development weren't described in great detail. Mm-hmm. And then random things were like really well described. So the first time that Leo has to go on a mission with his half brother, Charlie, no spoilers, that's revealed in the first book. <laughs> he's all like, oh my God, I'm so worried about him. I'm going to be so protective on this mission. Like, this is such a weird thing for me. Like, not only having a family, but worrying about him, especially because of, you know, I'm responsible for him being a vampire. So I feel all this responsibility. That entire mission is like half a page. Yeah, the mission itself. No, it's just there's like a, he has a lot of feelings, but that's it. So he has a lot of feelings about agreeing to do it. And then the next scene is like, coming back, they were able to successfully grab two transmitters and now Charlie's joking on the rooftop. I'm like, wait, it's over? Like, <laughs> it's you over. just spent like pages stressing out about like how difficult this is going to be and how risky and like the way you were going to have to like see your brother through this and also kind of presenting this as a bonding opportunity. And then you don't even show us the mission. <laughs> no bonding. Yeah. What? And then I will totally lay in, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not about to defend George R. R. Martin and his like, writing generally, but I do think there's something to be said for the nobody is safe mentality when you're writing a war. Yeah. The legitimate casualties of war are Trope Alert, her cat, mm-hmm. which anyone else remember Sookie's cat from the first Southern Vampire mystery book? Because this reminded <laughs> me of that so much, like brutally mutilating a cat as like a symbol and a cat that had been like very cuddled in earlier texts so first of all traumatizing but second of all um like random tertiary characters who never actually got a backstory
0: well they have to be because she can't these are still romance novels so you can kill off someone who might have had who had a relationship right so that
1: means like rip and esme (laughs) there are a lot of i shouldn't say like main characters in the romance. Like, I get that she couldn't kill off any of the main couples. Mm -hmm. But there were some significant vampires in Will's book. There are some significant Nighthawks from books three and four. There are significant Dukes and members of the echelon. Like, people who weren't necessarily ever POV that would have had a lot more bank. The war was not written as a war like she tries to she tries to bridge the gap and make this more than a romance novel and make the war feel like it has actual stakes which nothing ever does in a romance novel because spoiler alert they end up together right and I just feel like it was so much fake dramatic tension I was rolling my eyes at it that said I fucking love this book because (laughs) look because Leo and Mina are so damn cute and he is somehow everything I've ever wanted, even though he's a controlling creeper. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I'm not know. proud of myself. We
0: we totally skipped the tropes, by the way, guys. It, I mentioned a dead cat. I mentioned the dead cat. Okay, we're just gonna go through this really quickly. There are feuding families, as the official jacket says. So Mina's family and Leo's family don't get along. Although when you find out what happens later and you're like, Really, that's what that was based on? But whatever, you know what? I don't it's care. It. You just end
1: up hand-waving the whole plot away. Oh, absolutely. Uh, He's, as is not a spoiler, revealed in the jacket and previous books, a bastard heir. Yes.
0: He plays chess with his father, and by father, I mean the person who raised him. Um, And they basically only communicate through chess anymore.
1: Which chess, as a metaphor for emotions with two characters in conflict, is so subtle. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, um, Mina actually utters the phrase, she's the sister I never had about a character, which mm-hmm. you, there are like a whopping five significant female characters in this entire series. So guess which one?
0: So... I'm, we're letting you guess. But if you
1: read the book, you will know. Yeah. Um, they are. She is a sad, tragic orphan. Yeah. So her brother died in a duel. Then her father died. She believes at the hands of the Duke of Cain, and then her mother very quickly followed him of a broken heart. Correct. So her whole family died. When she was like 17. Mm -hmm. And that's why she is the only female vampire, because her daddy illegally converted her, and then she dueled her cousin for the Mm -hmm. kingdom or whatever.
0: The dukedom, yes. Yes. The (laughs) (laughs) kingdoms. He has got major daddy issues. because both his daddies. With both his daddies. I was going to say because as you know. The person who raised him as his father. Raised him as his son. I don't know who I'm talking about here. But anyway his official father. Is kind of a weirdo jerk. But then his biological father. Is also a big jerk. And I actually loved. The nuance. With the father. And Honoria, mm-hmm. who has these really great memories of him, and Leo thinking God he was such an asshole, but I also can't like ruin her memory of this guy i I liked that a lot, actually me too
1: um he actually says out loud, "I will always follow you, I will always catch you, I will always find you and then of course, during their like big fight, she thinks, but you said you'd never leave me, and you'd always catch me it's just <laughs> so damn trite and ask me how much I cared. Loved it. Loved it.
0: And then, yes, which li- which leads to the I can't betray you trope, which,
1: I mean, the trope is I can't betray you, so, spoiler alert, you decide. Yeah. Well, and also, as Meg mentioned, they both have their um, inner demons that prevent them from being able to hurt each other because their darkness is all about the other person.
0: And she There's the, I can't say I love you trope,
1: slightly reversed. Yeah, she's the one who, um, but what I love here is oftentimes in a like traditional historical romance, a character who's experienced a lot of loss is very closed off. And if it's a guy, usually covers that up by raking around and like Mm -hmm. refusing to be emotionally close to anyone. And if it's a woman is really reflecting on how like everyone she's ever loved has left her. And so she's very guarded because she's aware of how powerless she is as a woman in society and wants to protect herself from future hurt. In this case, Mina just is not dealing with her emotions, which is usually the male trope. Mm -hmm. Um, But then favorite thing, which doesn't usually happen in romance novels, Leo spells it out for her. No, you won't say you love me because everyone's left you and she's just like
0: wait what I loved it I loved it he's like I know you can't say the words because (laughs) but I know what's in your heart
1: well and then of course when she finally says it because spoiler alert they end up together he's so like shell shocked she immediately thinks he like has changed his mind and it's resolved in one sentence so it's a spoiler
0: I loved it I loved when it happened I loved everything about that scene her
1: skin is this thin for a woman that's like made of ice and has been orchestrating all of these massive political things in secret, she like cannot handle him walking away from her for like thirty seconds. Also,
0: you she didn't she's not a rake she doesn't rake around, but she also has not been celibate, which I liked a lot. She has recently been recently he, sure, but they're but she's, they're vampires, so I'm
1: like you know they go through. They go through cold spells. Well, and in fairness to her, at this point, the political machinations have ratcheted up so much that like taking partners is such a risk for her. Like people are randomly murdering her cat. Yeah. She can't let anybody in right now. I totally awesome. got it. Um. Yeah. So anyway, I love this whole book. Uh, Meg, <laughs> what else did you think of this book?
0: Um. So this is in the the. Ending of book four, we said it was like Avengers Assemble, which it was. What I love about this book is that Mina was not part of the Avengers Assemble at the end of book four. So what happens in this book is like there was the Avengers Assemble and they're like, okay, we're going to like do this, bring down the Prince region and do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And unbeknownst to them, Mina is like this other Avenger who has had no support from the government. She's just basically done it on her own. She's just as good as all the other Avengers, but she's a secret identity from them too. I loved it so much, Lane. I like just loved it.
1: It, it. when all of the chess pieces fell into place and it was like, "Oh, you're the one who wrote that note. You're the one who did this thing." I was just like, "Yep." I like Am I sure it made sense? No. Did I Not care? Sure. No. <laughs> did you love it?
0: Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And I love how they were like, wait, you did that? That was really mean. And she's like, what, a, what can I say? I've been trying to bring down a tyrant. You know?
1: <laughs> um, the one problem I had with it, and this is very, very minor. So she finally goes to confess all of her secrets, all of her involvement. And the chapter ends with a word and then the floor fell out from under him mm-hmm. as if he was so shocked but like in the previous chapter she'd punched through a ceiling and in previous books people have literally fell through the floor so it like took me a second to realize that was metaphorical, oh, it's just metaphorical. <laughs> yeah so i'm just if you're writing a book where that stuff happens a lot maybe choose a different metaphor because i was like wait she's confessing and now the floor's opened up are they falling into the bowels of hell what's going on oh it was a metaphor it's a metaphor oh. Yeah. Um.
0: but basically I I really liked that for so from the first book you have first or second book you have an idea that Leo and Mina are going to end up together right yeah. so you kind of figure it out but I I mean I don't know about you but I'm pretty sure I did not figure out that she was also a humanist until I started reading this book and I was like oh because she's I didn't think she was, like, terrible or anything, but I didn't think that she was, like, the mastermind.
1: So there's a couple of things that, in hindsight, were hints. In hindsight, um, yes. Mm-hmm. She's, and one thing that was, like, not a hint, and that didn't need hindsight, I think, it's when she spares Blade. Yeah. And they even talk about this in this text, that that's the one, like, chess move that nobody yes. could figure out from her because everyone was like, why the fuck did she just do this? And so, like... I, I Beck McMaster for all that I just said her plot's kind of a mess did a good job with that like I think in hindsight Mina as a humanist makes a ton of sense but I did not pick it up I, it wasn't like an obvious thing to me
0: so yeah. I think she I think she did a really great job setting it up in those first four
1: mm-hmm. books yeah and I also think there have been a lot of mysteries that were kind of subtle through all of the books who's funding the humanists? who's writing these shitty threatening letters, who's um, trying to overthrow the werewolf agreement. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that gets answered here in a way that wasn't like super well fleshed out, but at least like, at least, I I don't feel like there were real hanging threads. Right, I agree.
0: So I think, I don't know if we want to talk about, I think we already talked about it. So I'm going to skip Prince Regent. Oh yeah. I Okay. So I liked, you You said how there are no hanging threads. I, I also like how, like, no, there aren't any hanging threads, but everything's just kind of like snarled up together in a thread. Yeah. So like, Anoria, spoiler alert, she's like super pregnant. And then of course she goes into
1: labor. Like, uh, like the worst time.
0: The worst time. And of course Blade, she's the only thing that keeps Blade, you know, Sane. So well, if she
1: dies, he's going to like rampage. And it, it's sort of disappointing. It's, it's, uh, no, that's not what I mean. It's interesting because Noria was always presented as not helpless. DM. Nice. Like she was going to save her brother and sister. And so it's interesting that this strong female character from the first book does end up the pawn in the last one. Because she's laid up in bed giving birth and then with a baby immediately post birth. And she's the thing both Blade and Leo are known to care deeply about. So it's just they call it out in the text. They're like, Honoria has not been a shrinking violent at all. She developed the vampire vaccine, even in not her book. Like this is a woman who takes nothing lying down. And she is bedridden and stuck, and the enemies know it. Mm -hmm. So it was just it was an interesting thing to turn this character who has been so empowered through the entire series to have this one moment of she's the queen, which in yeah. a book with a literal queen, where there's right. literal political chess being played. Like I thought there, and there's metaphorical physical chess being played. Like Honoria as the queen as a subtle thing. I, I really liked it. I thought it was really well done.
0: I, I loved it. No, but I think that's, I really like it that like, yes, you can be this really interesting, empowered, strong character, but you know, there are times in life you you can't always be that way. Anyway, I, I liked it. And I don't think it was, like, a reversal or betrayal of her character at
1: all. No. Well, and I also, no one was trying to keep her ignorant. No. We're placating her, like, to, for the most part. Like, Leo doesn't freak her out when he realizes the Duchess isn't where he thinks. But, like, no one's telling her Blade is yeah. home safe or something. And no one's, right. like, and the second they realize she's really in labor, they do tell Blade. Like, it's not used as a device to, like, actually promote drama. Right. Like, they don't tell him right away because they want to make sure she's actually in labor. But once they know she is, they go get him. Like, I just, I liked that it wasn't artificial and mechanized. Yeah. I,
0: let's talk about trigger warnings. Um, because there are a lot of them. Yeah. Which I think
1: is pretty true for this whole series. mm mm-hmm. Um. So, pretty intense and graphic spousal abuse. Yeah, and spousal abuse by proxy. Spousal abuse by proxy. I mean, that was it was
0: intense. I actually believed it, and it was it was tough to read, uh, but I think it brought home the consequences to you. Yes. So,
1: um, there is drug abuse and and dr- un- and drugging of a person. Mhm. Yes.
0: There is razor blade sex, but they are vampires. Okay.
1: I, Meg and I are on record this whole series of not loving blood drinking as a sex thing. Like, it's just not, we've read a lot of vampire books for not being into it, but we're not. But this, usually it's like quickly slit your wrist with a razor blade and then they drink and it's the drinking that's the sex stuff there's this one sex scene where he like gives her his razor blade and she's like drawing over his torso. And they graphically describe how she presses and like a little drop of blood comes up on his nipple. And it was so disturbing. (laughs) And like, it wasn't even that graphic. It's just like, he's shirtless and she's dragging a razor over. It was like, this is some weird sex shit that did not need to be in this book. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't just the drinking of the blood. It was like actual razor play. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yep. If you're into razor play, may
0: want to read this one. <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I was reading it and I was like, ooh, oh, this isn't because there is a scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, there's some bondage. Yeah. Because she, she gets kidnapped, so there is a little bit of abduction romance. <laughs> oh, and then, but the thing is, she's like also really weak. And he's like, I know you need blood. So she's like tied up when he's giving her blood. But that's also very sexual. It's like this whole... I actually thought it was really interesting in a power play kind of way. Yes. I did not personally find it sexy. But I did find it interesting as a metaphor for power.
1: Sure. It, but it also made no sense. So earlier in the book... He had handcuffed her Mm -hmm. to a bed, not for a sex thing as a prisoner thing. And she like breaks the handcuffs off the bedpost. I love it. And stays put, but like just to prove to him, like, dude, this was stupid. Um, During the feeding power, sexy scene, what is restraining her arms is her own shirt pulled over her head.
0: Well, Lane, it's because she needed blood. She wasn't strong enough.
1: <laughs> I don't give a shit how weak you are. A vampire who can rip actual manacles off of a bedpost and have the wood dragging from her arm can rip through a shirt. I was like, you, like, am I supposed to buy that she's actually restrained or that she's like willingly being restrained or does it matter? I think it doesn't matter. I'm moving on. Like that I was think my It doesn't mental... matter.
0: I thought it was a you're not supposed to think that hard about it. Although, of course, I did because I was like, what a great metaphor for power play.
1: <laughs> Wait, back up because there's some more trigger warnings. Um, as we mentioned, um, the cat dies. I, I don't care. I'm spoiling that. I fucking hate it when there's a surprise pet death. I would have liked this book not to have it. So I'm telling all of you because I think it's the worst. Um, and then his childhood sucked and he was super abused. Mm-hmm. And they talk about it a lot. Pretty yep. par for the course in this series. But there you go. There you go. Um,
0: Okay, this book, I said it was nonstop action, which it is. There's a lot of sex in this book. I think this book has the most sex of all of the
1: series. One of the things I love about this series is they have like not done, they've had sexual tension and he has been obsessed with her for like seven years. And the beginning of this book is like the first time he gets the opportunity to make out with her. And it's like something in him just snaps. Like, you know, these characters have been great at staying away from each other and keeping their hands off each other forever. And from the first chapter, he's just done. Yes. It's like, I can't. I, I can't
0: restrain myself any longer. I'm not really interested in trying. But, and then it's also, like, all about her, too. Like, every single one of these
1: hookups is, like, about what she needs. Um, rare in this series, no blowjobs in this scene, in this book at all, which I'm sure Meg liked, because there was plenty of reverse.
0: Mm-hmm. But like, there's this. I I mean, do we want to like go through and like say, because
1: there was a first. We can't discuss all of them. We will be here all night, but I think it's worth highlighting some significant moments. So we already talked about the jacuzzi.
0: (laughs) Because that's like the very beginning. But then, then they they go to tour a factory that's making Zeppelins or something. Like
1: an air hanger, basically.
0: And he's like, let's check out this Zeppelin. So they go inside of
1: it, and then they get pretty hot and heavy. It was one of those like moments of capitulation for her that I shouldn't have been into, but was. Obviously. Obviously.
0: <laughs> then they go to a ball. I also love the fact that they go to this ball, and she's like trying to do all these political power plays. But basically, they get there. They talk a little bit of politics, and then he's like, Let's go into the library up against the door and have a discussion. No, she says he starts having the discussion and she's like, We can't do this in public. (laughs) So she finds the library
1: and it's like, Girl, girl,
0: who are you pulling? But then, so then they hook up, which is super hot. And then they're like, Okay, let's leave the ball. And I'm like, You did not get all of your schmoozing in. (laughs) You know?
1: Didn't happen. No. And if they didn't leave together, she left because she needed to go lay down. Because <laughs> it was just like, I'm sorry, but I am wrecked. Oh, my God. Then
0: there's like a ton of sex pre, pre-revolution in the rookery. Yeah. But my favorite is that they actually hook up after the entire everything is over. All the conflict has been done. Like. They're still trying to find out, like, who's dead and who's alive. (laughs) They're on the battlefield, like, picking through the corpses. And yet they
1: still find time to reaffirm life. So this is where I say the plot gets dropped in favor of the romance. So, like, was that a really amazing sex scene? Yes. Immediately before the events of that scene, he in particular is, like, saving some people's lives, has realized one of his sisters is unprotected. Both of his sisters are unprotected. No, just one of them. One of his sisters is unprotected and, like, may actually be an imminent danger. And they try to present it as, like, there is a possible threat, like, holy fucking shit. And then that never gets followed up on. He never, like, checks on them. He just has sex with her in this alley. And then the next time you see the sisters, it's six months later. And there's no mention of the fact that everyone was scared for her life. It was like, we're just going to drop that because it wasn't. Yep. It's fine.
0: At the same time, I didn't care because that was so hot. That was like when she says she
1: loves him. It's like this whole thing. And it's, amazing. Well, and it's also that, like, they have the big kiss in the middle of the wreckage montage. And, like, you think it will end there. And then it's he looks at her and he's like, I'm really on edge, and she's basically like, Then let's take care of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this is something we've talked about all along with the series, but the the entire ambiance is amazing. So like what they're wearing, and mm-hmm. you know, anyway, just the fact that like she's got on leathered pants and so does he, like the whole thing. It's and Beck McMaster does not forget about. Anything they're wearing ever, which I know this sounds ridiculous, but like major props.
1: I loved it. Same. Um, I have one complaint about the sex in this book other than not being into razor play. Yeah. The very end involves them getting into a carriage to have sex and it fades to black. Mm -hmm. Do not fade to black and carriage sex.
0: This is the second book in as many weeks that we have reviewed that had a final scene in a carriage. They're having carriage sex, and it faded to black. Guys.
1: Like, first of all, they don't start having sex in a bed ever. There's, like, two sex scenes where they end up in a bed, but then yeah, they never, end up in a bed, yeah. That's never how they start. So I'm just saying, like, if the final book had wanted to be a fade to black and, like, they lived happily ever in this world they created or whatever, cool. I would have been more okay with it. There was no carriage sex in this book. You tease me with carriage sex and then you deny me carriage sex. Who are you? How dare you? <laughs> this is man master she writes what she wants
0: so we have now concluded the london steampunk series did we love our journey in alternate universe victorian london with vampires and werewolves we did
1: um it's a we use this word too much it's really fun absolutely (laughs) Like, I had such a good time reading. Like, I'm not saying they're the most perfect books I've ever read. And like I said, I do think – I'm hoping with subsequent series she's able to figure out where the romance needs to come first and where maybe wider plot does because I don't think the series ever really figured that out. Mm -hmm. Like, the second book was the most plot-heavy, and we were like, this is boring. So many of these people don't matter. Like, what the hell? And in this one, it's like, okay, this is – complete ending and we don't know how we got here but I guess we're along for the ride like it was fun I hope her future series are like storyboarded better is that weird like I don't have any critiques on her relationships she's clearly more into blood than we are whatever but like she writes phenomenal characters I was super into all of these couples like overall really enjoyed reading this book I hope future books the story surrounding those couples get a, a little more established. Well, we may have to continue in that case. I know. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Thank you guys so much for listening.
0: We would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, check us out around the internet on Instagram at Plot Trists or Goodreads slash Plot Trists.